Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, June 4, 2017. This year, ID numbers for Friday, June 2nd, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern, 10003. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern meeting, 10005. This morning, A Vision for You presents Step 10, Sanity Returned. With the completion of steps one through now, we are now at step 10. The AA Big Book tells us sanity has returned. We, d- we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. The same return to sanity can be expected in Overeaters Anonymous with the 10th step. The process of looking at our character defects and our wrongs that we began in the fourth step continues with step 10. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Now that we have cleaned up the mistakes of the past and made reparations for them, this step tells us how to maintain the new state of serenity and freedom we have achieved and the sanity that has returned. Joining us today to speak on Step 10 is Barbara A., a recovered compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Barbara is a recovered compulsive overeater who is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous. She currently serves as the Region 7 representative and spends much time intensively working with other compulsive overeaters and carrying this message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Barbara. Hi, Leah. I just want to make sure you can hear me. I hear you well. Thank you. Okay, great. So, hi, everyone. I'm Barbara A., a compulsive overeater from Parsippany, New Jersey, and I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk with you today about Step 10. I chose this topic because I literally received hundreds of phone calls as a result of previously speaking on a vision for you, and it's amazing how many of those phone calls are about doing Step 10. I also receive dozens of calls each month from people asking if they can give me their Step 10, and that is what I want to talk about today, how to do Step 10 properly so that eventually you can give your Step 10 to your higher power and have him change you into who he wants you to be. I'm not going to do any qualifying today. Just know that I'm a real compulsive overeater who could not stop overeating on my own, But once I did the steps, exactly, precisely, just as they are written in the big book, food was no longer a problem, and more importantly, I stopped being angry, fearful, and harmful. And as a result, I no longer needed food to comfort me or to help me stuff my feelings, because the real truth is, food was never my problem. It was my solution when I felt restless, irritable, discontent, shameful, remorseful, or guilty. What the steps taught me to do is to run to my higher power by doing a step 10 immediately instead of running to the food. What happened by doing step 10 correctly is that I can now stop and stay stopped. But more importantly, there was a process that changed me, and that is all I ever really wanted. I'm at peace most of the time, 
and when I'm not, I immediately connect to something that gets me out of feeling that way, and that something works better than the food ever did and is something that is not going to kill me. So today, I'm going to talk about keeping that connection to that something by doing step 10 properly to get rid of whatever is interfering with that connection. The instructions for step 10 are on page 84 of the big book and says, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. These are very specific directions, but in order for me to do them properly, I have to first follow the directions on pages 1 through 83 to be able to do what is on page 84. And because each step builds on the previous one, I'd like to spend some time talking about working these previous steps. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. No brainer here for the step one part of powerlessness. Just need to answer two questions. Do I have control when I'm eating? And I do control when I'm stopped. Meaning, for example, if I only want to eat two cookies, do I wind up eating more than that, and usually the whole bag? And when I swear I won't eat the cookies, do I wind up eating them anyway? I'm a real compulsive overeater because I have a physical allergy, hence my not being able to eat only two cookies, coupled with an obsession of the mind that won't let me stop thinking about and wanting the cookies. For the unmanageability, the questions are, am I having trouble with personal relationships? Am I having trouble controlling my emotional nature? Am I a prey to misery and depression? Am I unable to make a living? Do I feel useless? Am I full of fear? Am I unhappy? Am I unable to be of real help to other people? Am I full of resentments? And do I cause harm to those around me? If you can answer yes to even one of these questions, then your life is unmanageable and you need to follow the instructions in the big book to be able to be connected to and guided by the one thing strong enough to overcome these things, and that thing is your higher power. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. What does the 12 steps have to say about who or what your higher power should be? Absolutely nothing, because it is God as each of us understands God. <clears throat> the success of working the steps isn't dependent on any theological proposition. Rather, it is dependent on you finding something greater than yourself to whom you can be surrendered. For some of us, God is the God found in our respective scriptures. For others, God is nature, a great spirit, or the collective energy of every atom in the universe. Some of us have a clear image of a specific God, while others have a vague sense of something greater unattached to any religion. The point is, it doesn't matter. God is whatever you need God to be in order to get beyond insanity that rules your life. The only requirement for step two is to be able to honestly answer yes to the following question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, 
that there's a power greater than me that can solve my problem. Note that there's nothing in step two about being connected to this power yet, just that you are willing to believe there is one. Step three. Step three is on page 63. Step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. This is only a decision. When we first do step three, we don't have the power to turn our life and our will over. Our character defects and our belief that we need to control everything won't let us. All we are doing in step three is making a decision to give our own concept of a higher power a try. Step three is not turning your life and your will over. It's only making the decision that at some point in the future you will be willing to do that, and until that time, you will be willing to do the necessary work to get you there. And the necessary work is completing the rest of the steps. My experience is that the actual turning your life and your will over happens in step 11, but only if the previous 10 steps were done correctly. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step four starts on page 64. I'm going to go into detail about steps four through nine because step 10 is really doing steps four through nine at the exact moment you are resentful, fearful, or harmful. The first instruction for step four is on page 64 and says, we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. Here's an example of these three things. Say you are an alcoholic who is not working this program. You just drank some alcohol and now you get into your car to drive home. A policeman stops you and arrests you for driving under the influence. That would be an example of a person you are angry with, in this case the policeman. Then you go to court and are found guilty and lose your license. That would be an example of an institution you are angry with, in this case the judicial system. The rule, don't drink and drive, is an example of what a principle would be. So you make your list on a piece of paper listing just the people, institutions, or principles you are upset with, and nothing else. As an example, I'll use these three names, my mom, my boss, and Henrietta. The next instruction is also on page 64 and says, we asked ourselves why we were angry. Using a five-column worksheet, you would take the first name on your list and put it in column one, and then in column two, you would add each thing that person did that you were still mad about. Each item gets its own box in column two. A note here that column two is very succinct, no long descriptions, and definitely no justifications. Everything is just noun and verb. No emotions attached to this, no justifications, no stories, no explanations, just the exact thing the person did that got you upset. When you were done with the first person, you would add the second name to the next blank line in column one, and then add everything to column two for that person. You would do this for each person, institution, or principle you have on your list. Let me show you, using the names I mentioned before, how this works. I'm mad at my mom because she returned the brownie outfit. I'm mad at my boss because he threatened to fire me. I'm mad at Henrietta because she canceled on me again. The instructions for column three are on pages 64 and 65 and says, in most cases it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. On our grudge list, we said opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal sex relations, which had been interfered with? You start with self-esteem, which is how you feel about yourself and your pride. 
and you would put a check mark in that column if the thing in column two hurt, threatened, or interfered with your self-esteem. Then you would do the same thing for the next column, pocketbook, which is your money, finances, or anything of a material nature. You would continue putting a check mark in the appropriate column for emotional security, how safe you feel in the world, your ambitions, which are your plans for the future, both immediate and down the road, personal relationships, which is how you interact with other people, and sex relationships. Note that when doing your inventory, you would not give the reasons why any of these parts of self are checked off. Let me give you one of my examples for column three. The resentment is against my mom because she returned the brownie outfit. It affected my self-esteem, my emotional security, my ambitions, and my personal relationships. I'm going to explain why these things are checked off in my example so that you can see how the different parts of self were affected. But remember that when doing yours, there is no explanation. My self-esteem was affected because I was the only one without a brownie outfit, and that made me feel less than. My emotional security was affected because the leader yelled at me each week for not having an outfit, and the other kids made fun of me. My ambitions were affected because while I wanted all of the badges, why work for any of them if I didn't have a sash to put them on? And my personal relationships were affected because I didn't feel like I fit in and I didn't like or trust anyone. The instructions for column four are on page 66 and says, we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? Referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Here are examples of what I would put in my fourth column. I'm resentful of my mom because she returned the brownie outfit. Column four, how did I get the ball rolling? I didn't set the table for dinner. I'm resentful of my boss because he threatened to fire me. Column four, how did I get the ball rolling? I pad my account, I am not reliable, I come in late, and I don't complete my work. I'm resentful at Henrietta because she canceled again. Column four, how did I get the ball rolling? I keep agreeing to meet someone who doesn't follow through. Column four is the only difficult part of doing the steps because we never had look, have looked at how we are responsible. It's so much easier to blame others, and this is the column that starts to change the way we think. We're not beating ourselves up. We're only looking at how we got the ball rolling. There's a line in the big book that says, our troubles we think are basically of our own making. Well, this column shows us how we did that. Note that realizing you have a part in this is not to make you feel bad by blaming yourself, but to give you the opportunity to take responsibility so that things can be changed. In the previous examples, I got the ball rolling because I didn't set the table, I was not a good worker, and I continued to make plans that I knew would never materialize. Also, do not feel angry, berate yourself, or even feel bad about what you write in column four. All you are doing is looking at a fact, and the fact is that what you did, you did based on your character defects. When you get to column five, you will see that what you did in column four was all you could do at that exact moment because a character defect came into play thinking it was protecting you. Column five, when you get to it, will show you that you are not a bad person. All you are is someone who has character defects that think they are protecting the six parts of self. There's a way to make sure your column four is correct. 
Remember that everything in this world is cause and effect. If what is written in columns two and four are correct, you should be able to reverse these things using their opposites and say things that make sense and ring true for you. Here are examples of that. If I had set the table, my mom would not have returned the brownie outfit. If I didn't pad my account, if I was reliable, if I came in on time, and if I completed my work, my boss would not have threatened to fire me. If I didn't agree to meet someone who doesn't follow through, then Henrietta would not have any plans to cancel. The instructions for column five are on page 67 and says, where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. You will list in column five the character defects that caused you to do the actions in column four. Start with just checking off any of the five major character defects that apply. Selfish, which is keeping what I have or wanting things done my way. Dishonest, which is lying, cheating, stealing. Self-seeking, wanting more than I have right now. Frightened and inconsiderate. Then add any others. Don't make this too complicated. Get to the heart of the matter. What were the main character defects that really made you do what you did in column four? Here are my examples. What character defects allowed me to not set the table? Being selfish because I wanted to continue having fun playing outside. Lazy because I didn't want to do the work. And disobedient because I did not want to do what my parent told me to do. What character defects allowed me to pad my account, not be reliable, come in late, and not complete my work? being dishonest, inconsiderate, a thief, and irresponsible. What character defects allowed me to keep agreeing to meet someone who doesn't follow through? Being a people pleaser. Note that my column five had other things than just selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, inconsiderate, and frightened. Here's the reason for these more specific character defects. Bill actually mentioned some of these in the big book. For example, on pages 61 and 62, he lists mean, egotistical, indignant, self-pitying, self-centered, and self-delusional. Also, you'll see as we get to the instructions for step six, it says, ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable. And when we get to step seven, it says, every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. So while every character defect falls within the major five or a combination of them, I find that it is better to be more specific. For example, people-pleasing is really being dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened all at the same time. But people-pleasing gives a more accurate description of what I am actually doing, which is saying yes when I want to say no because I'm afraid of what others will think of me. My number one character defect was being mean-spirited. In reality, that is being selfish, self-seeking, inconsiderate, and frightened all at the same time. But using the description of mean-spirited gives me the exact behavior to look at when I get to step seven. Here's the truth. You will always wind up in the same situations because your character defects will always play out in the exact same way, time after time after time. For example... If you are a people pleaser, you will continually be in situations where you will agree to do things you don't really want to do, give people things you don't really want to give, or not stand up for yourself because you want people to like you. You will always wind up being unhappy about that. It's not the person you would list in column one of your resentment inventory causing your unhappiness, but the character defect of people pleasing. The great news is that you don't have to stay a people pleaser or any other character for that matter. 
As you progress through the steps, you will find that in step seven, these character defects start to diminish, and if step 10 is done correctly, these character defects get removed, and as a result, the problems caused by them vanish. One thing I want to mention is this. It's not enough to know the character defects. You also need to know how those character defects control your actions. Column four shows you how the character defects play out, what behaviors they are causing you to do, and once you are aware of these behaviors, you are the one responsible for being willing to make the effort to act differently. God will only do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and we definitely, if we are willing, can put in the effort to stop doing behaviors that cause us and those around us harm. And once we do the resentment inventory correctly, we get to see what those behaviors are. That's why it's so important to have a five-column inventory. The instructions for the fear inventory is on page 68 and says, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, which will be column one, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them, which will be column two. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Column three. Perhaps there is a better way, which is column four. Let me show you how the fear inventory works by giving you an example of a fear a lot of people in OA have. Column one. I'm afraid of gaining weight. Column two, why? Because I would look terrible, I would feel terrible, and I would be embarrassed. Column three, do I realize that I rely on myself rather than on my higher power? Yes. Column four, what footwork can I do to make sure that the fear in column one does not happen? Remember, God will only do for us what we can't do for ourselves, and this column lists the things we are capable of doing. So my column four would be I can stick to my food, plan one moment at a time. I can ask God for the strength to do that. I can work all the tools. I can stay honest with what I'm eating. I can exercise. I can walk away from food situations. I can refuse to buy the foods I'm allergic to. I can prepare my meals ahead of time. I can stay connected to my higher power, and I can pray. Column five, what character defects would stop me from doing the things I just listed in column four? Being lazy, unwilling, and dishonest. The key thing in the fear inventory is to see that there is footwork we are capable of doing and to start doing these actions immediately so that we can stop being paralyzed by fear and being controlled by people, places, and things. There are two harm inventories, one with sex and one without sex. The instructions for these two harms inventories are on page 69 and says, reviewed our conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate, which becomes column five? Whom had we hurt, which is column one? Where were we at fault, which is column two? What should we have done instead, which is column four? I'd like to mention two things about your harms inventories. The person doesn't have to know you harmed them, just that you believe you harmed someone. And two, don't let anyone amend your amends list. You are the only one who determines what gets listed. Let me give you an example of the harms to others, excluding sex inventory. Column one, I harmed a store called WT Grants. Column two, by stealing two blouses. Column three, well, parts of self got satisfaction from the action in column two, and that was my pocketbook and my ambitions. I'm explain why these parts of self got satisfaction. My pocketbook was rewarded because I didn't have to spend any money, and my ambitions were satisfied because I now had things I wanted. Column four, part A, what should I have done differently? 
not stolen from a store, and paid for the items. Part B, what will I do in the future? Pay for the things I want and not take what doesn't belong to me. And column five, what character defects allowed me to do what was in column two, stealing the two blouses. And that was being self-seeking, dishonest, and a thief. The key thing in the harms inventory is to see what new behaviors I should be incorporating into my everyday life. And these new behaviors are what's listed in column four. If the four-step inventories were done correctly, we have everything we need for steps five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Here's how I suggest my sponsees make sure their inventories were done correctly. They start with the resentment inventory. The first thing I have them do is read the resentment forward and then backwards. Here's the example of reading my resentment forward. I'm mad at my mom because she returned the brownie outfit. This affected my self-esteem, emotional security, ambitions, and personal relationships. I got the ball rolling by not setting the table. The character defects that allowed me to not set the table were being lazy, disobedient, and selfish. Here's my example of reading it backwards. <clears throat> if I wasn't lazy, disobedient, and selfish, I would have set the table. Then the things in column three would not have been affected because my mom would not have returned the brownie outfit. I know I've done this particular line of my resentment inventory correctly because it makes sense and rings true for me when I reverse it. When reading your resentments forward and backwards, most of your resentments will go away because by reading the resentment forward, you will realize how ridiculous it is to still be mad, or by reversing the resentment, you get to see that it's your character defects that are causing your unhappiness and not the person listed in column one. Next, I have them look at their fear inventory. What is written in the fourth column becomes an action plan of the footwork they start doing immediately and continue doing to make sure none of their fears come true. And last, I have them look at the harms inventory. Again, what is written in the fourth column becomes another action plan, but this one is for how they will start behaving from this point forward. Step five is admitted to God to ourselves and tell the human being the exact nature of our wrongs. The instructions for step five are on page 75 and says, when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. Step five is not talking about feelings. Step five is not a psychiatry session. Step five does not include a list of your good qualities. All step five is, is you looking for the things that are blocking you off from your higher power, and the things blocking you off from your higher power are your character defects. When you do your fifth step, you will get together with your sponsor so you can admit the exact nature of your wrongs. The exact nature of your wrongs are your character defects, and every negative thing you ever said, thought, or did, and everything that caused you and those around you to be unhappy was a direct result of a character defect. By telling your sponsor that you are dishonest, they will know that you have cheated, stolen, and or lied. Your sponsor does not need to hear each incident of what you, I'm sorry, hear each incident of you doing that, nor do they need to hear you express who you are mad at or what someone did to you. I want to mention that your sponsor will get to hear the things that need to be heard just before step eight. All you're going to do for step five is read all your character defects out loud from column five from all your inventories. As you do this, you will realize that the same character defects keep showing up over and over and over again. Step five is done so you can see what is blocking you off from your higher power 
and what is causing your problems. Anything other than looking at the character defects will turn this into a selfish, self-centered, self-deprecating, or egotistical event and give you the opportunity to justify how you feel and continue to blame others. The purpose of Step 5 is to have the things blocking you off from your higher power revealed. After your Step 5, there's a one-hour review to make sure the work done so far is solid. Step 6 is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. The instructions for Step 6 are on page 76 and says, We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us to be willing. You take all the character defects written in column 5 from all your inventories and transfer them to the left side of a sheet of paper. If any character defect is listed more than once, only write it on this sheet once. The main question for step 6 is this. Now that I've seen on paper that it's my character defects causing all my problems, do I want them removed? Read over the list of character defects you wrote down and answer that question. Do you want them removed? Hopefully your answer is yes. If you did not answer yes, ask God to help you to be willing. Step 7. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Remember making the decision to turn your life and will over to the care of God as you understand him in Step 3? Steps 4, 5, and 6 were the start of the footwork towards turning your life and will over. Step 7 continues that footwork. Step 7 is where we get out of our own way and become willing to let God mold us into who he wants us to be. Here's the footwork for Step 7. You would take the list of character defects you made in Step 6 and add in the right-hand column the opposite of each character defect. For example, my opposite of dishonest would be honest. My opposite of judgmental would be accepting people for who they are and what they do and say. We don't need to have our character defects lifted from us all at once, nor will they be lifted immediately. We only have to be continuously nudged in the right direction. Here's how we get nudged. Each morning add the following to your prayers. Please, God, stop me from being the character defect and teach me to be the character asset. You will do each character defect and asset separately. Here are some examples. Please, God, stop me from being lazy and teach me to be someone who does what's needed immediately. Please, God, stop me from being jealous and teach me to be happy for others. Please, God, stop me from being mean-spirited and teach me to be kind. Also, throughout the day, whenever a character defect crops up, immediately stop, take a deep breath, ask God to stop you from being the character defect and teach you to be the opposite, actually naming the character defect and its opposite, and then, and this is the most important part, Act as if you are someone who has that character asset. You will continue doing this as well as the morning prayer of asking for the character defects to be removed and taught the opposites until you get to step 10. I don't move my sponsees forward for two weeks. My reason for doing this is that it takes about two weeks for them to become extremely aware of each character defect and how often these defects come into play and in approximately two weeks, the character defects start to make us feel uncomfortable. And it is this unpleasantness that gives us the willingness to change into their opposite. Step eight is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. You take out your harms inventories and make up one index card for each harm. 
Note that if you have five harms to one person, you would make up five separate index cards. Here's how you fill out the index cards. At the top of the index card, write the name of the person you have listed in column one. On the same index card, underneath their name, write what you wrote in column two. On the same index card, transfer what you wrote in column four for part A, what you should have done instead, and then underneath that, also add what you wrote in column four for part B, what you will do from this point forward. Then you look at each index card you made up, and at the bottom or on the back of the index card, write what you think you need to do in order to correct what you had done. Here's an example. I stole change out of my mom's pocketbook when I was little so I could buy candy. My restitution would be that I repay the $20 I stole. If you don't think any restitution is needed, then you don't have to write anything. But if you think there should be restitution for your listed harm, you would write what it would be on your index card. You then go to your sponsor and read what is on each index card. This is where your sponsor gets to hear what you have done in a very concise way that does not include rehashing any of your negative feelings or blaming anyway, and is also a good way to practice your step nine because you are only talking about what you have done without any justifications and without any blame, which is how your step nine should be done anyway. One more thing, if you have done the previous eight steps correctly, you will be a different person than who you were at step one. Each step gives you the strength to do the next one. If you have done step seven correctly, some of your character defects will have either been removed or diminished, and you will have the experience of acting as if you are the opposite. This is a good thing because then you will not react inappropriately or retaliate if any step nine does not go smoothly. If you have done step eight correctly, you will want to set right the wrongs from the past, and because you now have God in your life, you begin to realize that the outcomes of everything, including your step nines, is totally in your higher power's hands, and at this point in your recovery, this will be absolutely fine with you. Step nine is made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. One thing to remember for step nine is that we are not others. My step nine to myself was very short. I looked in the mirror and said, I'm sorry for every hurtful, stupid, foolish thing I have done, and in the future I will take really good care of us and not do anything that would cause us to feel bad or cause harm. And that was the end of my focusing on myself, except for actually carrying out that promise. Remember, step nine is cleaning up the harms we have caused to other people, and that is where the focus should be, on other people. One of the main results, if the steps are done correctly, is that we stop being selfish, self-centered, self-seeking, self-pitying, self-focused, self-deprecating, self-absorbed, and any other self-word you can think of. In step nine, we don't focus on ourselves, but on how we can clean up what we have done to others. The instructions for step nine start on page 76 and says, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. When you get to step nine, you start making your amends using pages 76 through 83 of the big book as the guide on how to do this. Here are some key points from those pages. Under no condition do we criticize or argue. Other people's faults are not discussed. We do not dodge our creditors. We have no right to involve another person. There may be some wrongs we can never fully write. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. 
We don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. We ask God for the strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. And we should remind ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. Step nine is saying, I'm sorry I did these specific things without giving any justifications or excuses. So using my example of my stealing $20 from my mother, here is my amend. I go to my mom and say, I'm sorry for stealing change out of your purse when I was little to buy candy. I should not have done that, and from this point forward, I will never take anything that doesn't belong to me. Here's the $20 I stole back. Notice the amend includes an offer of who I will be from this point forward. This admission of the truth and my willingness to actually do what I just promised to do brings me to to a point of oneness. At oneness, there is love, compassion, and understanding for everyone. We get there because, as page 124 says, we grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and then convert them into assets. The two important things about step nine is that, one, you will not make any apologies that will cause harm, and two, you will start behaving differently so that you don't cause new harms. Our number one rule becomes no new wreckage. And now that brings us up to today's topic, step 10. The first thing I'd like to say is that step 10 is doing the exact same things that were previously done for steps four through nine. But while doing steps four through nine the first time was used to clean up things from our past, doing the steps in step 10 is used to immediately clean up things as they happen from this point forward. Do a step 10 as soon as you notice that twinge that tells you something is not quite right. The nightly review is not step 10. The nightly review is one part of step 11. Step 10 is done immediately. Step 10 is your higher power's way of giving you a chance to act as if you are the opposite of your character defects. God will not remove any character defect until he believes you have learned enough and practiced the opposite enough, and Step 10 gives you many opportunities to practice the asset. The important part of Step 10 is to realize that whatever is happening in your life is just a way for you to learn to be the opposite of your character defects. Once you get to step 10, you stop doing the step 7 morning prayers of asking for the character defects to be removed and being taught their opposites, because in step 10, God is the one who decides which character defects he wants you to work on. Here are the instructions on how to do a step 10 properly. Step 10 is done at the exact moment you are angry, worried, afraid, about to harm someone or have harmed someone. You immediately do steps four, six, seven, eight, nine, and then five. If you are upset with someone, immediately do the resentment inventory and stop being angry. If you are worried or afraid, immediately do the fear inventory and stop being frightened. If you are about to harm someone or are harming someone, immediately do the harm inventory and stop hurting another person. Then move on to step six. Do you want the character defects you just found in the inventory removed? If yes, move on to step seven. Ask God to remove these defects and teach you to be the opposite and then act as if you were someone who has these character assets. If you harm someone, become willing to make amends in step eight. Then do step nine. If an apology and or restitution is needed, make them and then 
whether or not an apology and or restitution is necessary. Make plans on how you are going to amend your ways so that you don't repeat these same negative behaviors in the future and then incorporate these new behaviors into your daily life. Then, until you get to the other side of step 12, you do step 5 by calling your sponsor with just the character defects and, if you want to, the actions you are going to take to correct these things, but nothing else. I'd like to make up a scenario that would show you how to do the inventory parts of step 10. Let's say I'm running a workshop that starts at 9 a.m., but I left my house later than I should have, and as a result of this, I know I'm cutting it very close to be there by 9. I get behind a driver who's driving the speed limit and stopping at yellow lights instead of going through them, making me later than I already am. Here's how I would do a step 10 resentment on this. The driver in front of me would be who is in column one. Column two would have why I'm upset. He is driving too slow and stopping at yellow lights, making me later than I already am. Column three would have the parts of self that are threatened, interfered with, or hurt checked off. My ambitions, because my plans of being there early to set up now won't happen, and my emotional security, because now I am concerned about what others will think of me. Column four. How did I get the ball rolling? I left things I needed to get done to the last minute and then left later than I should have. In column five, what character defects allowed me to do this? Selfish because I'd rather be watching TV, inconsiderate for not thinking about what the attendees' needs would be, and lazy because I didn't want to do what needed to be done. Here's an example using the same scenario for a harm inventory. In column one, I would list the driver. In column two, I harmed him by beeping him, giving him the finger, and screaming at him, even though he couldn't hear me. Remember, it doesn't matter if the person knows you harmed them, just that you know you did. In column three, my self-esteem got satisfaction because now I feel superior to him. In column four, for part A, what should I have done instead? Left my house way ahead of time so that it doesn't matter what the traffic is or how anyone drives. And for column 4B, what will I do from this point forward? I would write, I will have everything set up ahead of time and leave early enough so that there is a lot of time to spare. And for column five, the character defects that allowed me to do what is in column two, beep at him, give him the finger, and scream, are being impatient, frightened, and inconsiderate. And last but not least, here's an example using the same scenario for a fear inventory. In column one, I would list, I'm afraid of being late. Column two, why? Because people will think less of me. Column three, do I realize I'm relying on myself instead of God? And the answer is yes. Column four, what can I do in the future to make sure this doesn't happen? Have things done ahead of time, leave earlier than I need to, and do what I need to do immediately instead of waiting until the last minute. And the character defects in column five that would stop me from doing what's in column four would be being selfish and lazy. As I progressed through this process, I learned that my step 10s usually incorporate all three inventories. When I'm upset, my column four of the resentment inventory is usually a harm, and the whole thing usually started because of a fear. But remember that the inventory is, I'm sorry, you remember that step 10 is not only doing the inventory. There's still steps six, seven, eight, and nine. And these other parts would be me wanting the character defects I found removed, asking God to stop me from being each character defect, and teaching me to be their opposites, 
then acting as if I am the opposite, and in the case of the harm inventory, that would mean I would immediately stop beeping him, stop giving him the finger, move a little bit back so I'm not on his tail, and drive safely, realizing that people are entitled to drive the way that is comfortable for them. I then come up with an action plan on what my new behaviors will be, and for this example, that means that I make sure I have everything done ahead of time and leave early. As an aside, I think that step 10 is the most important step because when step 10 is done correctly, this is where you become recovered. The main thing to remember is that when you begin doing step 10 properly, your life is not all of a sudden going to hell. What is happening is that God is putting you in situations where you can learn to be the opposite of your character defects. My suggestion is to learn each lesson quickly because if you don't follow the path God is trying to put you on, each successive lesson will not be as gentle as the previous one. You made a decision to let God be in charge in step three. You gave him permission to mold you into who he wants you to be in step seven. And in step 10, he starts that transformation and will do whatever he has to do to get your attention. Step 10 gives us the opportunity to experience God. And every time we have a positive interaction with our higher power, it brings us closer to sliding to step 11. You will get to have this opportunity every time you think someone lets you down, every time you have tension with anyone, every time you are jealous, every time you are discouraged, every time you feel betrayed, every time you think someone criticized you, every time you do something that hurts someone else, every time you are angry, every time you are afraid, and every time you think you know what's best for yourself and everyone around you. All of these things are your unmanageability. This unmanageability comes from being separated from your human spirit. Your spirit is not sick. You feel sick because you can't connect to it and therefore only connect to the three-dimensional world outside of your spirit, which is your body, your mind, and your emotions. When you can't connect to the God that lives inside you, you feel completely empty, shut off from power, shut off from spirit, shut off from the one thing strong enough to overcome the effects of being a compulsive overeater. Step 10 stops that disconnection and enables you to reestablish that bond. By doing steps 1 through 9 properly, you are removed the things blocking you off from your higher power, and now there is nothing interfering with you receiving messages, lessons in step 10, and guidance in step 11 from your higher power. If you can remember that everything that is happening in step 10 is from your higher power to either teach you something you need to learn or to protect you from something in the future, you will realize that there is absolutely nothing to ever be upset about, and the gift for believing this is peace of mind, and finding a quick and easy solution to every situation you find yourself in. There are five things that will stop you from getting the promised results from doing a Step 10 properly. The first is not being taught to do a Step 10 properly. One of the biggest blocks to recovery is being given misinformation on what needs to be done. Some of this misinformation is being told to do a Step 10 at night. It's having your sponsor move you forward before you actually know how to figure out how you got the ball rolling. It's doing step 10s before having your character defects diminished or removed in step 7. It's having unfinished amends based on your unwillingness to do them. The second thing is refusing to do a step 10, putting off doing a step 10, not realizing the importance of doing a step 10, or getting upset rather than being grateful that your higher power has just put you in a situation where you can learn how to be kind, caring, and loving. 
The third thing is having a Step 10 body. All this 12-step work is to get you connected to and guided by your higher power. The whole purpose of Step 10 is for God to put you in situations that reveal your character defects so that you will seek Him and with His assistance have the defects removed. The main problem with having a Step 10 buddy is that we wind up rehashing the things that got us upset in the first place, thus reinforcing the resentment. And second, we usually ask the buddy for their advice, the circumventing being guided by our higher power. The fourth thing is that most people in OA think Step 10 is only for resentments. This is not true. Step 10 is used the moment anything disturbs your peace of mind, and it doesn't matter if it's just a small inconvenience or a giant hits your ego or anything in between. Any resentment, fear, and or harm that is disturbing to your peace of mind interferes with your connection to your higher power. And the fifth thing is not doing a Step 10 immediately. Step 10 is where God puts you in the situations to be in to learn how to be the opposite of your character defects. If you don't do the step 10 at the exact moment you are to learn the lesson, you will miss the opportunity to learn those lessons. God can only be found right here, right now. When you have a learning opportunity at 7 a.m. because someone on the highway cut you off and you don't do a step 10 right there and then, you miss the chance to learn to be patient, kind, and understanding instead of mad and retaliatory. The most important thing about Step 10 is that it's done for a resentment, so whenever you are upset or feel hurt. It's done for a fear, whenever you are worried, concerned, or afraid. It is done for a harm, whenever you have a mean thought or are actually hurting someone. Each of these things is your cue that you have disconnected from your higher power, and you need to get that connection back immediately. And the way to do that is by doing a Step 10. Step 10 is a continuous fine-tuning of who I'm supposed to be. It's God's way of putting me in the situations he wants me to be in to learn certain lessons. The difference between step 10, which is done immediately, and step 11, which is reviewing, planning, and being guided, is that step 10 is where God teaches me lessons, and step 11 is where I put those lessons into practice. When going from step 10 to step 11, remember this. Be content with whatever life brings you, seeing everything as an opportunity to deepen your connection with your higher power. This is the thinking that moves you into step 11. If you've heard me speak before, you know I love analogies, and I'm going to give you one here. It's about having faith that everything is in God's hand, and because of that, everything will turn out as it's supposed to if I do what I need to do. So the analogy is about electricity. I walk into a room, and I flip a switch, and a light comes on. I really have no idea how electricity works, nor do I know the workings that makes water going over Niagara Falls be able to have a light bulb in my house shine brightly. But I have faith, belief, knowledge, and experience that this is the truth, and I don't doubt the existence or ability of that electricity. When a light bulb in my house burns out, all I have to do is the footwork to replace it with a new bulb. I know this is true, and I never question that once I do what's needed to do to have the connection reestablished, everything works perfectly. It's the same with my higher power. When things in my life are going how I think they should, all I have to do is the footwork of doing a step 10, finding the character defect, connecting to my higher power so that he can fix whatever made my life unmanageable in that exact moment, then move forward with it and move forward with what I am guided to do. Here are the results of doing a Step 10 correctly. 
I am now recovered instead of just in between binges. I no longer have the desire to put the food I'm allergic to in my body. God comes first. I stop being selfish, self-seeking, and self-centered. I fit comfortably in my own skin and in this world. Fear has been removed and replaced by trust and love. I've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food. Sanity will have returned. I will seldom be interested in compulsive overeating. I'm not avoiding temptation. I feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. The problem has been removed. I am not afraid. A spiritual life and all its rewards has become my reality. Instead of hitting bottom without anything significant happening, everything that happens becomes a spiritual experience. I'm hooked up with my higher power, and I get some power, his. Being able to rely on and use his power, I am no longer powerless, nor is my life unmanageable. When my life does become unmanageable, I have a way out of that instantly. There is neutrality around the food. I have forgiven everyone and in doing so have released my past. I want to be helpful. I don't take anything personally, and I realize that nothing really matters except love. One thing I want to mention is that getting these rewards is the result of years of my being willing to follow these instructions and to actually do this work. If someone were to ask me for the key to getting these results, my answer would be this, quit playing God. I want to assure you that I'm not unique. Anyone who works the steps as outlined in the big book will reach the place that Bill describes as being rocketed to the fourth dimension, and that will be reflected not only in everything they do and say, but also in every one of the relationships and how they lead their lives. If you are not experiencing these results, then maybe you need to reconsider how you are doing your step tens. But remember, you have to have done steps one through nine correctly in order for these things to come true for you, especially being able to figure out how you got the ball rolling and being willing to make your amends than actually doing them. So I'm just about out of time, so I'd like to end with this. Imagine living without fear, without judgment, without blame, without guilt, without shame. Imagine your life without trying to please other people. Imagine how different your life would be if you lived with gratitude, love, loyalty, and justice. Imagine the union between you and your body if you were completely loyal to your body, if you were completely grateful for your body, and if you treated your body with respect. Imagine being happy. Imagine living with this kind of freedom. This program is all about letting go of the lies that cause us to be angry, fearful, and harmful so that we can see God everywhere, in everything, and in everyone, including ourselves. Once we are able to see this, we don't have to search for God because we know he's already here and will never let us down. And for me, that's sanity return. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be of service today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Barbara, for such a beautiful presentation this morning. Thank you for your clear illumination and thorough illustrations of the program of recovery. Your service is greatly appreciated. Barbara's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording. And we're now going to transition to question and answer segment. You can direct your question to Barbara by pressing star 1 to unmute and giving me your name, please. Jamie W. 
Shannon S. Shannon S. Allison G. I got Jamie W. Is it Shannon S. or Sharon? Yes. Shannon S. Jody E. Q. And there's someone else who popped up? Allison G. Allison G. Sigrid F. Sigrid F. Laura D. Laura D. Okay, we're going to start with that group. Everybody mute your line, please, except for Jamie W. And I'm requesting questions only, not comments. Thank you very much. Jamie, go ahead. Jamie W. San Diego, compulsive overeater. Thank you so much, Barbara A. Thank you, Leah. Question. Step six, you mentioned two weeks. Are there any um, times on the other steps that you found helpful? Okay, so it was step seven that I keep them on two weeks. The other thing is once they get to step ten, there is no more time frames, okay? It all depends upon them. What happens in step ten is you get a chance to learn. There really is a higher power, and you get to, by your own experience, see that he really has an interest in your life and is working with you to change the things that make you unhappy. And so some people are in step 10 for months and months and months. Some people get it really quickly. What happens is when they get to step 10 and they start experiencing God and relying on him, what happens is all of a sudden, based on their own experience, they say, oh, there really is a God. When I follow his will instead of mine, everything turns out okay. And it becomes this instantaneous decision that I'm going to let God be in charge of everything, not just my food, but my family, my money, my job, everything. And that's how you slide into 11. There's no time frame for that. Everybody goes at their own speed. Once they're in step 11 and they're being guided by God and figure out how magnificent he is, they want to tell everybody about it. No one wants to hear it. Your family, people at work, no one wants to hear it. The only people who want to hear it are your sponsees because they want what you have. So there's no time frame for 11 either. You then slide into 12 because you want to teach other people how to get these results. And then 10, 11, 12, the time frame there is you're going to do them one day at a time or even one moment at a time for the rest of your life. Thank you, Jamie W., for the question. Shannon S. Good morning. Shannon S., uh, Recovered in New York. Thank you so much, Barbara, for your talk, and thank you, Leah, for your service. Um, I had a question similar to along the lines that was just asked. So uh, you said two weeks and step six. Um, Do you have your sponsees completing all their amends before they're starting on step 10? and uh, if so, are they accumulating, you know, basically another fourth step before they're working on step 10? And uh, just one other question is, you had mentioned, um, you know, not having a 10th step buddy, and I get that, so you're not just rehashing the causes, um, but are you recommending that you just go to God with your defects, or you are, in fact, going to another fellow to talk about your defects in this particular situation? Okay, so let's go back to the first part about the two weeks. Step six is instantaneously. I look at my defects. Oops, I don't like them. I want them removed. Then I go to step seven, and it's step seven. 
asking God to teach me to be the opposite and acting as if I'm those opposites. That's the two weeks part, okay? So just, you know, six steps. None of these steps take long. And the only reason there's a pause at seven is because it takes that amount of time to realize that the defects are causing problems and that they're always coming up, like every, every 20 seconds, every half hour, whatever it is. And that's the catalyst for change because we always move away from discomfort towards pleasure. And in that two weeks' time, your character defects start feeling really yucky. Every time one comes up, it makes you uncomfortable. So that's the reason for the pause there on, on seven. Okay, so the next thing was when do, does someone move into step 10, you know, depending upon their nines. What happened, for me, if I have done one through eight correctly, and eight is I really want to clean up my past, not every step nine is going to be an apology. A lot of them are going to be a living amend. Some of the people are dead. It would cause harm if you talk to them, that kind of stuff. But what I do, as long as the people are willing to make their amends, and the minute they make one or two amends, which should be the next day after we talk, I move them into 10 so that they can start cleaning up everything immediately because you don't want to have to redo the whole inventory again and have 27 pages. From the minute that you're willing to make your amends and you go to the first person and clean up, you have just moved into 10. You're ready to have God step in instead of you. So that's that part. And then the step 10, buddy, is that um, what happens is I basically at first, I I don't even have them talk to me with their defects. They do a step 10. They have the defects. Most of my sponsors call me on my cell phone, but I have them call my house phone. And all it is, five rings. Hi, it's Barbara. I can't come to the phone right now. And then I'm saying, hi, this is so-and-so. I was just the character defects. Again, moving away from something that's discomfort or unpleasant to do. Um, what happens is, and they do that, and the only thing that they leave is the character defect, and if they've done a harm, if they want to, they can tell me their column four for either a fear or a harm, what their action plan is at this point. But the idea of rehashing what happened, oh, I'm mad at my mom, she did this, I'm mad at someone at work, they did this, all it does, because remember, when someone does you a harm, it's not a resentment yet. It comes from when you keep talking about it and keep thinking about it and you keep refeeling it that it becomes a resentment. Also, every time you talk to someone about what just got you upset, you're blaming the other person because you're justifying how you feel. So for me, and the thing also for me is, At first, I go to my sponsor or one person who I totally trust, who's not trying to control me, who's not trying to make me feel bad, who just is someone who wants me to succeed. And I say, hi, I was just jealous and mean-spirited. Nothing else. They don't give me any suggestions. They don't tell me what to do. This I have them do until they get to the other side of 12, which doesn't take that long once you slide into 11. Because on the other side of 12, I realize that the only thing I need is to be guided by my higher power. It's great to have friends and talk to others, but my solution is being connected to my higher power. And once that happens, I don't need to get advice or guidance or reassurance from anything on this earth. 
My higher power uses these people to give me the opportunity to be helpful, to learn lessons, and to enjoy them. But only going to my higher power for my steps tense, I stop asking people to do godlike things. So I hope that answered all your questions. Thank you very much, Shannon S. Jody EQ. Star thank one. Yeah, there you are. Thanks. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and thank you, Barbara, for such an excellent presentation. My question is about the forms. I'm not familiar with the five-column resentment form. I'm familiar with the four-column resentment form. Uh, also, what about prayer and meditation uh, prior to getting to step 11? Thank you. Okay, um, Okay. the forms, I have something called how I sponsor. Everybody always asks me, how do you sponsor, how do you sponsor? And I wound up writing it all down. It turned into a 75-page book. It has all the forms. It has all the instructions. All the, the difference is a lot of people use a four-column form, which is just the character defects. But I was taught by the person who taught me how to do the steps that I really, really needed to see the behaviors. Because if I don't know the behaviors and I just say, you know, the, the main five character defects, nothing's really going to change. Because while God will do for me what I can't do for myself, he'll remove the defects. But only when he thinks I've practiced the opposite and learned the lessons enough. And if I don't know what the behaviors are, then I will never, ever have the opportunity to, to do my footwork, if that makes sense. Okay, so um, okay, so you have a form available online? Uh, not yeah. online, but if, um, my email, which I'll give at them, but I'll give now, which is antbabs54 at yahoo.com, and I'll repeat that. I can email that to you, and you would have all the forms. Thank you. Okay, and then your second part about prayer and meditation. From day one, I prayed, okay? And there was no rule on what I was supposed to do. So I'm abstinent one week. My mom and I go to Atlantic City. We go to a buffet, all sorts of desserts. My mom, who I love dearly, keeps saying, oh, Barbara, this is so good. You sure you don't want some for the desserts? For half an hour sitting there, my head was, please, God, keep me asking. Please, God, keep me asking. Please, God, keep me asking. There is no rules on how to connect your higher power or what you need to do or say in order to have that connection or a relationship with him. So if you, and if you get inspired to pray, pray. If you want to meditate, meditate. Anything that can bring you closer to your higher power helps you with this program because that's all this program is about. How do I get rid of the stuff blocking me off? How do I get connected? And how do I stay connected? And any form of prayer meditation that works for you is something that will help you achieve those three things. Thanks, Jody. Thank you. And Allison G. Star one to unmute. Hi, how are you? Barbara, thank you so much, and thank you for your service um, to both of you guys. So you made a really quick comment. You said during step nine, don't let anybody add themselves to your amends. Or, and it's interesting because I just had a, a situation like that. A friend of mine knows I'm going through the steps, and I said, oh, I'm on step 10. And she said, well, where is my amends? And I'm very 
uncomfortable and it actually created like a real issue. But I had spoken, okay, one minute. I had spoken to my sponsor about this person. I'm so sorry. And we oh, no, that's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, trying to juggle the baby. But when I heard you say that, I was like, oh, my goodness, I need to ask. So just what are your thoughts on that, you know, not letting people be feeling like they need to be added to your amends list? Thank you okay. so much. Because the whole thing about the harms inventory, the purpose of it is for us to stop feeling guilty, to stop feeling uncomfortable when we're in a room when someone's there, to stop, you know, hurting people. So what happens is you know who you feel guilty or that you feel uncomfortable because you hurt them. Just because someone else says you hurt them doesn't mean they do because the weird part about this, most people don't even really hear what we say. They misinterpret what we're saying as I'm bad, I'm wrong. And then they retaliate or they're angry or whatever it is that they do with it. Because if you were to ask someone who says, oh, you owe me an immense, and and never do this because, you know, we want to be kind, caring, loving, you never want to confront somebody. But if you were to say to them, what did I actually do? What they're telling you you did, you probably didn't do. And one of the things that I learned, because everything is a lesson for me, and I'll use an example, one of my, I had two sponsees, one that I had for a long time and one that was brand new, and she's about to make her step nines. And the old-timer was saying, oh, when she apologizes to me, I'll know that, you know, she's doing these steps correctly. But that person was not on the new person's inventory. And so I suggested, why don't you add this person? And I figured it would be a good way for her to go and practice step nine with someone who already went through all this work. Well, it didn't work out well. She went and she apologized, and the person jumped down her throat. And that was my lesson for my higher power. Don't amend anybody's amends list. The thing is, the whole thing, especially once you get to step eight and nine, you have God in your life. You get these glimpses of his will as opposed to your will or anybody else's, and it's when you're trusting that that the steps move forward and get you closer to God. So the minute someone tells you what you should be doing, well, if you listen to them, they just became your higher power instead of your own instincts that are now being guided by God. You know, if somebody brings something to you and you think, yeah, I really did harm them, you just say, I'm really sorry I did that, and that's the end of it, and you just don't do it again. Nothing becomes a big deal. And if somebody else makes it a big deal, well, that's, that's up to them. And especially once you've made an amend to someone, if they keep bringing it up or they keep, like, harassing you about it, you get to the point where you learn it doesn't matter. You did what you needed to do to clean up your side of the street, and what the other people do, they just do, and it doesn't matter. So um, did I answer your question? I'm not sure I did. Yes, you did. And, like, I, I had been very conscious of this friendship forever and so I feel like all along when I thought I've heard it the person I've already apologized and that's what me and my sponsor had discussed like I didn't owe her an amends because I've been actively you know setting my what I felt I had done wrong at different points right with her so then it became like you're saying if I if I listened to her then it became her being my higher power her putting herself in a position where like she belongs, but 
but a living amends, right? And then I can, if I, or again, I can apologize again, you know, I don't, but I, I thank you. You did answer my question. Thank you very Terrific. Much. Thanks, Allison. Can you repeat the email address? Okay, all this will be at the conclusion of the recording. Please, thank you very much. Sigrid F., your turn. Everybody else, please stay muted. Sigrid F., star one to unmute. Hi, this is Sigrid F. in Recovering One Day at a Time in Florida. Can I be heard now? Yes, go ahead, please, with your question. My thank you all for your service today. Um, I really appreciated your uh, views on how to work the steps, and so I really would like to study them a little bit more. And I tend to learn better by the written word as opposed to the spoken. So I'm interested in your 75-page book. So I guess my question is similar to earlier: Can I get access to something written? Thank yes. You. Yes. What'll happen is um, all you have to do is send me an email ampfabs54 at yahoo.com, saying, please send me how I sponsor, and Monday morning I will send it right back to you. It's a PDF form. You open it up. It starts with the day I meet someone who's brand new, how to teach them the tools, going into the steps, everything as if I am standing with them, talking as if I were their sponsor. doesn't mean that that's what you should use. If you can find a recovered sponsor who can teach you this stuff, much, much better to have a guide, a teacher, someone to help you. But this will give you a glimpse into what the big book actually says to do. Okay. So Thank yes, you. I, I will send it to anyone who wants it. Thank you, Sigrid. Laura D., star one to unmute. Laura D. It's, it's, it's Laura G. And, okay, uh, there we go. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. Thanks, Leah. Uh, my question's been asked and answered. Thank you so much, and I passed. Thanks very much. Okay, who else has a question this morning for Barbara? You'll want to press star one to unmute. Identify Ellen yourself. Rich, is that Rochelle? Yep. Okay, gotcha. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Harlan G. Harlan G. Liz T. Liz T. Ruth M. Who's M? Janice, is that you? Ruth M. I'm sorry, Ruth M. June S. June S. All right, that's a good group. Rochelle, go ahead. Everybody else mute, please. Thank you. Thank you very much for your service, Leah. Thank you, uh, lady who spoke. Absolutely exquisite. I'm sorry I came in sort of in the middle, but I'm hoping to hear the tape. Anyway, here's the question, and I don't think you covered this. Seeing it from the other side of the street, if, if someone contacts you about making an amends and it's not what the amends really that they owe you, you know, and you're, you know, like you, they hurt you in a different way, do you need to keep quiet and, and wait until they come to the conclusion that they hurt you and then call you or contact you? Or do you bring it up as a person who's the object of the amends? That's a question, Pam. 
Okay, so let me just make sure I have your question correctly. If someone is telling you you hurt them, do you owe them an amends? Is that what your question is? Or is it that if someone contacts you, you, do you bring it to their attention? If someone contacts you about making an amends, but that's not really what they did. I mean, it's your belief that they hurt you far differently or far greater in a different way or in a different area or at a different time. Do you bring it to their attention or you just let them make the amends they think is currently due? Pass. Okay, so the number one rule is no new wreckage, okay? So what happens there is that if in your saying that to the person, well, that isn't really what you did, you did this, probably will cause wreckage. The thing is what they're doing is to clean up their side of the street as they believe it is. The truth is, as you work through this program, as you get closer to God, you get to realize that people are just people and what they do doesn't matter, okay? So if somebody calls with an, with an apology, the real truth is, as a recovered person is, thank you so much for calling, okay, as opposed to rehashing the stuff. Now, there are certain, like when I did my amends with my daughter, when I did all the stuff that I thought I did, I then said to her, and is there anything else you need me to apologize for? And she did, 45 minutes of ranting about stuff that I had done her whole life that she hated me for. But what happens is if somebody doesn't give you the opportunity to do that, then you don't. You just look at it that God hasn't opened their eyes, or maybe they just don't see it, and maybe in the future they will. But the idea that they even called you to say, I'm sorry, is such a big step that in, in, in doing something, say, yeah, but you need to apologize for this also, undermines what they're learning to do, if that makes sense. So if it were me, and again, it's always rely on your higher power. I can just give suggestions that work for me. doesn't mean it will work for you. But for me, whenever anybody has said they're sorry, all I do is accept the apology and move forward from there, still being kind, caring, and loving, because I've learned that their higher power is just using them to teach them whatever they need to do. And what you think they should be apologizing for may not be the lesson they need to learn yet. Because remember, anything you miss doing in your step four through nine you so much. plays out in step ten, and they'll learn that way. Thank you, Rochelle. Harlan G., star one to unmute. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Barbara, for your service. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Barbara, you talked about keeping people in step seven for two weeks. I was just curious where this comes from because it's certainly not in the big book. No, and you're absolutely right. It is not in the big book. Everything that I do is based on my own experience, what worked for me. Some people don't stay two weeks. Some have to stay longer. But, see, unfortunately, the way that the big book was written, and I'm not criticizing it all because as far as I'm concerned, God just dictated it to Bill, and it's a magnificent book. But when you get to Step 7 and you say the Step 7 prayer, it almost sounds like you wake up the next day pure as driven snow. And that, and we all know that's not true. It takes a lot of footwork and a lot of energy and time and your higher power working on you to have those defects diminished or removed. But for me, what I found, and I have worked with over 700 people through this on their steps, because what happens with me when someone gets to 12, I'm just their friend and not their teacher anymore, so I can take on new people. 
So what happens is if someone gets to seven, they say the seven-step prayer, and then they move right into eight. For me, and even though it's not in the big book, it's that six and seven are the the back-breaking parts of this. That's where a lot where the work really takes place. But it's only two paragraphs in the book. So for me, I found that if someone stays on step seven and they wake up the next day and they go into work and they're aggravated by a driver, they're aggravated by their boss, they're ag- they get to see how aggravated they are rather than moving right into eight, which then they go in and they make an amend to someone and the person doesn't accept the amend and now their character defects come into play to protect them. They don't know how to act as if it's okay that someone doesn't accept the apology. That's my reason for keeping them in there for whatever amount of time it is so that they can start to be diminished. So does that explain it? Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Harlan. Liz T. Start one to unmute. Hi, good morning, Barbara. Thank you so much for your service. I just have a question about the amends process. Um, if I have a particular amends that I'm I'm kind of um, hesitating to do and, and still um, praying about it and asking for direction from my higher power, um, and it's a previous amends, uh, um, it's a previous resentment or harm from an old inventory two years ago when I tried to make uh, an attempt at an amend um, and the person didn't want to see me. Uh, my my sponsor's uh, suggesting that I try a second time now two years later as a, as a recovered person. Um, I just have a question. Could that be violating their boundaries that they had tried to set with me? Um, to not want to see me, or am I acting out of fear that perhaps um, perhaps there could be some spiritual transformation and it's worth another try? That's my question. Thank you. Okay. So, and the first thought that came to my head was do a fair inventory. What's so scary about not making this amends? Is that going to stop your your spiritual growth or whatever your fear is about that? Do that. But here's here's the thing. I was not able to make all my amends. Either I couldn't find the people or I thought that I would hurt them. And then God just conspired to make the amends I needed to make happen. People I couldn't find. All of a sudden I'm in a store and people I haven't seen and there's no way I could find them are all of a sudden in that store. So what I have learned is for your amends, trust your higher power. Sometimes it's just not the right time. And all you can do in those cases is act as if you're the opposite and don't cause that harm to either that person or anyone else. The thing, though, about where she said she didn't want to hear it, one of the things that we do, and this is our controlling and our ego, we want things done our way, and we don't really hear what people are saying. People always tell you who they are and what they're willing to do or not do, and we refuse to listen. So if it turns out this person said, I don't want to hear it, well, then my suggestion, but always pray about it based on what your higher power is telling you to do, just let it go. Let it go to the universe. If, if you need to make this amend to her, something will happen that will force the two of you together where it will be the perfect situation to do it. 
Don't be afraid that it's going to interfere with things. Because remember, step eight is that you're willing to correct it if you could. Okay? Another direction from step nine. Some of them we can't do. Well, so what you do is you do what you can. You stop causing that harm to other people, and you have that character defect that allowed you to do that harm removed. And that's the best you can do right now. And you move forward with the people who you can clean up with and that you can move forward and be kind, caring, and loving and act as God's agent. Thank you, Liz, for the question. Ruth M., your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, I'm Ruth M. Can you hear me? Yes, very well. Um, I've been listening this morning, and I just want to say, first of all, I am new, and I'm I'm working with a, a recovered sponsor, and I and I want to ask, I do, I'm feeling like I need to do a step ten, but I haven't even gone through the process yet. Um, so I was wondering what happens in that case because I. I um I really feel I need um to do that. Um I'm in a dysfunctional um marriage and it's very painful so I'm experiencing fear and resentment right now. But I'm still working with my sponsor at this point. So I'm not sure what what to do from here if anything. Okay, so my suggestion to you, the first thing is stay abstinent. You need to be free of your addictive foods in order to be clear enough to do this work. My second suggestion is to talk to your sponsor about going through the big book as quickly as you can. You'll do step one with the doctor's opinion through pages 46. You'll do step two. You'll do step three. There's not a lot of work for steps one, two, and three. One is just realizing I can't fix myself. I have a problem. I'm powerless. I have uh, my life sucks, whatever it is that will make you want to do this work. Step two is just coming up with the idea that maybe there is something that could help me. And step three is being willing to do the work that you need to do. And then you can launch immediately into four, which will then start doing, because step 10 is just cleaning up the stuff as it comes up that's new. You need to do steps four through nine on your present relationship. But each step follows. You can't do a 10 properly until you do one through nine. And steps four through nine, which can be done very, very quickly. I did steps one through eight in one weekend, okay? I've had people who have gone from me meeting them to them being to step 10 in two and a half months. This whole process usually takes, the average that I found with all the people I work is five months. But during that whole time, everything changes. What I want to assure you is that if you do this work, every relationship you're in will change. If it's a good relationship, it will get better and better. And the ones you're not supposed to be in, the fear, the character defects that allow you to stay where you are, will change, and either things in your marriage will change or you will leave or you will stay and be unhappy. Those are really the only three choices that we ever have. But the thing right now is to just realize whoever you are married to is just as sick as we are. We're all sick and self, 
and it's only your interpretation that gets you upset. If it's a life-threatening situation, he beats you, he threatens to kill you, that's a whole different story. But my suggestion to you is talk to your sponsor about moving through these steps as quickly as you can so that you, with your higher power, can figure what you need to do in your relationship. You don't know how to do a step 10. And one of the things that I want to mention here to everyone listening, do not all of a sudden start doing step 10s. If you haven't done one through nine properly, the wreckage you are going to cause by doing a step 10 wrong will cause more problems than you had before. Step 10 has to come after you've cleaned up the wreckage of your past and you are an open vessel to your higher power guiding you. You don't know how to do that yet. And if you can't figure out how you got the ball rolling in this relationship or anything else, you will, your step 10s will not work. So just to warn you, so my suggestion, work as quickly as you can through this big book so that you can do, figure out the character defects that allow you to be in a relationship that does not work for you, and then being the opposite of them, either to correct the relationship or find a way to stay there and be happy or to leave. And I'm not telling you which of those to do. You know, it's between you and your higher power to figure that out, but you'll never know what his will is if you haven't done the steps correctly. Okay. So hopefully that helped you. It did a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Ruth. June S., your turn. Yes, good morning. This is June S. Hello? We hear Hi. you. Thank Go you. Ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm fairly new to listening to A Vision for You since April or so. And, my, and I thank you, Barbara, for your beautiful presentation, profound details. Um, and it's the way I would like to do the work of the 12 steps. I've been abstinent for a couple of months. How does one find a sponsor who has an understanding of the process as you describe it? Here's, here's a couple of things. I'm going to start with this, and it sounds like I'm critical, but I don't mean it that way, and then I'll move forward. I want to start by saying this. I believe it's better to do this work correctly by yourself than to work with someone who will give you wrong information. So hopefully you can find a recovered sponsor, which in like a minute or less I'll describe what that is. But if you can't find a recovered sponsor, remember that the big book was written for those who did not have meetings or sponsors. And the big book tells you exactly what you need to do to be recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. The big book is just a set of instructions on how to work the 12 steps, and the 12 steps are a set of instructions on how to get rid of the things blocking you off from your higher power, how to connect to God, and how to stay surrendered. So let me give you my definition, and again, it's just mine. It doesn't make it correct, of who your sponsor should be, okay? Look for three things. The first is physical recovery. It doesn't have to be someone who is skinny. Remember that sometimes thin is not well. Look for someone who is already at a normal-sized body or is in the process of getting there. Listen to what people say. Abstinence should not be the most important thing in their life. Their connection to their higher power should be. Listen to what they are saying to make sure it makes sense for you. For example, if all someone talks about is their food plan and that weighing and measuring is the answer, my suggestion, if you're a real compulsive overeater, is that you don't want them as your sponsor. 
because if I could have done this, not eaten and been happy and lose weight and keep it off and have a great life, um, if I could have done that on my own by just weighing and measuring, I wouldn't need to come to OA. So I'm looking for someone who has the same problem that I do. I can't stop eating because I have an obsession of the mind coupled with the analogy of the body. The next thing is emotional recovery. Again, listen to what people are saying. You don't want a sponsor who shares have a litany of troubles and resentments, but then they end their share by saying, but I didn't eat over it. You want someone who is happy, who has good relationships, and who wants to be helpful. Because why would you want someone who fights with their spouse, criticizes their kids, hates their job, has money problems, and tries to control everything as your sponsor? They're only going to teach you what got them to the point in their life that they are now. Look for someone who takes responsibility and doesn't blame others and has figured out that every situation is a learning experience and that every situation has a solution. And the most important part for me is someone who has spiritual recovery. So you're looking for someone who gives credit for all the miracles in their life to their higher power. Someone who says, I wake up each morning and choose not to overeat, won't be able to teach you how to connect to your higher power so that he can remove the obsession because that person has the power to do it on their own and they don't have a connection to God. And that is your solution as a real compulsive overeater. You need a connection to God. So if the sponsor doesn't have spiritual recovery, how can they give away something they don't have? Okay, so for me, it's looking for those three things, physical recovery or on their way to physical recovery, because I know a lot of people have already lost 100 pounds, and if you walked into the rooms and you looked at them, you'd say, oh, I don't want them because they're still heavy. Weight doesn't matter. It's what, that they're on their way to being recovered. You're looking for someone who has emotional um, recovery. They're happy. They don't blame others. And you're looking for someone with spiritual recovery. They're connected to their higher power and realize he's the one doing this stuff. So, And if you can't find someone like that, my suggestion is to grab the big book, grab the AA 12 and 12 with those two books, Everything you need to know and do is written in there. Nowadays, there's tons of sponsors. You shouldn't have to do it on your own. But when you go to meetings, look for people who have those three things and go up to them and ask them, can you, can you be my sponsor? So hopefully that, that helps. Thank you, June, for that. And we'll now have a final invitation for questions if you have question for Barbara, star one to unmute. This is the final opportunity on the call this morning. Leslie W. Leslie W. Mary Lynn. Tina Zaganis. Oh, Tina Z from New Jersey. I got you, Tina. I didn't get the two voices I heard after Leslie W. Mary Lynn. Lynn. Mary Lynn. And Lindsay. Lindy. Lindy. Julie M. And Julie M. Okay. Excellent. Leslie W., go ahead with your question, please. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah and Barbara. That was, um, thank you for that this morning. This is Leslie W., a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. 
And my question is, I heard what you said about imagine a life with no people pleasing. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm I've discovered lately that God is working on me in this area. Um, I feel that I'm striving a little too hard as of late. And I recently had an experience with a sponsee who uh, left me, um, which taught me, and then she gave me some critique, some criticism when she did. Um, and, uh, you know, the, her criticism was when we got to step six and seven, um, I was trying to help her um, identify her character defects. So I was making some suggestions and some of the suggestions that I made she did not like. And, you know, um, what I learned from that was that I don't need to to do that. And so I guess my my question to you is, how has your higher power refined you in this area of people-pleasing and um, trying to fix and trying to, to step into places where you don't belong? Okay. That's my question. Okay, so what happened was, okay, one of the things I just want to mention is step seven, I never talk to them about their character or tell them what their character defects are. That happens in step four when we're working on the inventories. And I'll give you a funny story. Someone I was working with, her husband's mad at her because she left dirty dishes in the sink. And when I suggested that maybe it was because she was lazy, she got really mad at me. But most people get mad yeah. at us because we're hitting too close to home. And so what yeah. happened was when she was doing her fist step with me, and she said, you know, I have you on my list. And I said, me? Why? And she said, well, you called me lazy. And I just let it go because I'm not going to. And then when she read her character defects with me, lazy appeared all over the place. It's in step four that you'll help them identify, but it's their truth and not mine. So by the time they get to seven, all they're doing is taking the character defects from that fifth column. I have nothing to do with that. They even decide what the opposites are. I don't tell them. Okay? So, um, um, so your question basically was, do, do me a favor, say again with, with the actual question. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, <clears throat> I guess my question is, um, I, I learned from that experience that that is an area that I need to work on. I, I need to work on um, staying in my lane um, and not trying to fix people, you know, not trying to... And, and not trying to please people either by saying things that they want to hear. Um, and I agree with you, you know, but I guess I guess what I was – my question is, um, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling. I'm, how do you how, – how, do you have any suggestions as a, as a chronic people pleaser, um, you know, how to surrender that to, to, to God and any, any specific actions that you took in order to rid yourself or to, to be rid of that defect? Okay. The thing was that um, a couple of things. I learned that as a sponsor, I'm not responsible for anybody's success or failure. It really is them. And any time that I let something a sponsor does or doesn't do, it's just my ego. Because when I first started sponsoring, 16, actually this weekend will be 17 years, um, 
it was my ego. I wanted to be the best sponsor. Everybody was going to succeed. They were going to make me look right. good. They were all going to. I realized I have nothing to do with that. It's just me being their teacher and them being willing to learn. Another thing I learned mm-hmm. is just because someone says something doesn't make it true. Another thing that I learned is that everything is a learning process for my higher power. So when he puts a a sponsor in your face telling you that you're doing something that might be harmful, instead of getting aggravated or mad at the person, really take a look at it. Were you really trying to control what she was doing, or was your intent to be helpful? Remember the actor who's trying to run the whole show. Sometimes our intentions are good, but it's still doesn't turn out well for other people or for us. My suggestion to you is to really take that whole thing about quit playing God literally. I mean, the big book actually says about that. Let me just talk about quit playing God for a second because this will probably help you. The big book says this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that here after in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He's the principal. We are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. So how do I quit playing God? I stop judging what other people are doing. I stop trying to control others, offering my unsolicited opinion, criticizing and thinking that I know what's best for everyone else. Instead, I look for God's guidance and follow that. After following the directions in the big book, it becomes abundantly clear what I need to do. It just feels right, and there is no angst or questions. The world starts to conspire to make God's will happen if I don't interfere. As I've said before, God's will is anything that allows love to grow. When I'm playing God, love doesn't show up too much. I get hurt, those around me get hurt, and everything is a struggle. So how do I quit playing God? I do this by realizing that God is the one performing all these miracles and being grateful for each and every one of this. I do this by having my ego smashed and doing the things that stop the reemergence of that ego. I do this by living in steps 10, 11, and 12. And what happens is as a result of that, I get to be kind, caring, loving, and helpful to everything that he made because I know that his plans are much better than mine. So the minute that you think you know what's better for someone else, your will has just come back in. And the people pleasing, I, the, if you really look at what your motive is, I want people to think I'm great. I want people to like me. I want to have control. Those are not godlike qualities. And the thing to do is to learn to be the opposite of them. Then you won't have this problem. So my suggestion is to really look at what this woman said. Is what she said true? If it's not, just let it go. If it is, then really look at how you, with your higher power, can change those behaviors so that you don't do this again. And then you'll stop being a people pleaser or whatever other character defect allowed you to do something that made you and someone else unhappy. I think it's all about the ego, and you cleared that up for Always. me. So. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> Thanks, Leslie W. Mary Lynn, your turn. Star one to unmute, Mary Lynn. Thank you very much for this. It was so 
disqualification um, in New York. Um, on the rehashing where you suggested I make amends, are you suggesting that I do not say, is there anything else in order for me to stick to one issue and then the character defect of that issue? Okay. Again, by the time you get to your amends, you will have had glimpses of being connected to your higher power and how everything works out okay. And based on those experiences, you'll get to know that, wow, this feels really good. The idea of saying, is there anything else? Um, when I did that with my daughter, I had not planned on doing that. I had my index card. I had a stack of them, like you would not believe, went through all of them, and I was just going to end it there. And all of a sudden, in my head, the words, without me even realizing, came out. Is there anything else you need me to apologize for? Because in that moment, God was there with me, as he always is anyway, and gave my daughter the opportunity to say what she needed to do in order for her to not hate me anymore. Doesn't mean that you're going to do that with everybody. The thing is that when you make your amends, you invite God with you, and you do one at a time, and you get inspired by what you need to do, because the truth is, the whole thing starts conspiring for you. I'll give you a really quick example. A woman that I was not going to make amends to. Every meeting I was at, she was so off topic. And while she was a wonderful woman, every time she spoke, I rolled my eyes. I looked at one of my sponsors and rolled my eyes. This is going back like 16 years ago. I was not going to make amends for that because that would hurt her. Eighteen of us are at lunch. Everybody's talking. All of a sudden, everybody goes into individual conversations. She starts talking about how she was a meeting at a meeting on Friday, and someone said to her, you're off topic. You need to stop talking. And before I even realized it, it was like a Broadway play. The spotlight was just on her. Everyone else disappeared from the conversation. And I said to her, you know, now that you said that, I'd like to apologize and I apologized on something that I thought I should not. And she said to me, smiling and laughing, well, I don't accept your apology, joking around. And I said, well, that's the great part about step nine. It doesn't matter if you do or not. And we started laughing, okay? Be guided by your higher power because he will put the right words in your mouth. He will set up the exact situation. Be inspired by what you're supposed to say or do. And if it turns out that you get an overwhelming urge to ask other stuff, then go ahead, and if not, don't. Your amend is there to say, I'm sorry I did this, and from now on I'm going to do the opposite. That's all an amend, the apology part of an amend is. If there's anything more than that, it comes from your higher power. So Thank I hope you that very helps. much. Very helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Lynn. Lynn D. Lynn D. Star one to unmute. Hi, I thought I was already on mute. This is Lynn D. Barbara, thank you so much for all that you shared. I just have a couple of questions for you. Um, you talked in doing the inventory in step four about harms without sex, but I didn't hear you mention um, anything about how do you do the harms that is regarding sex, and I was wondering if you could enlighten me on that. And another question that I have about um, the part where you talked in the turnarounds 
you know, how did I get the ball rolling? How do you do work on that if you have a resentment against someone who sexually molested you? Okay. And that's, those are the questions that I have. Okay, so we'll go back to the first one, um, where um, harms others with sex. It's the exact same inventory. You do it the exact same way. The only reason that I have um, it done in two separate inventories, and just, again, just based on my experience, the big book doesn't say to do it that way, but I found to do it that way because your step nine for an amend without sex is going to be totally different than an amend with sex. But the directions for doing same thing, column one, who did I hurt? Column two, how did I hurt them? Column three, what parts of self got rewarded or satisfied? Column four, what should I have done different and what am I going to do in the future? And column five, what character defects allowed me to do what's in column two? Exact same way to do it with or without sex. Okay, and then to answer your second question, okay, 99% of the time you will have something that got the ball rolling. Someone sexually molested you, which is a common thread in, in, um, in OA. I eat because now I'll be big and strong and can fight off the person, or I'm big and no one will want me. It's like a really weird psychological thing, which is a, a major connection with all of us. But what happens is... You, no one from your past can hurt you now unless you bring your past into your present. The person who molested you hopefully is no longer in your life nor touching you inappropriately. So what becomes, while you did not have a part of that, you weren't three years old and flirting with an uncle or something like that. You had no part in this. But it becomes, what are you doing with it now? Why can't you let it go? And we always, every person, we don't do anything unless we get a payoff. So your payoff, you really have to look at that. For me, because I was molested and because of the way that men treated me when I was little, I use that as, bad, as my excuse for bad behavior towards the people I dated. I could steal money out of their wallets. I could cheat on them. I could treat them like dirt. I could hate them. You know, whatever it was because that gave me a reason for my bad behavior. So that's the thing to look at. Why are you still holding on to something that, you, that, that really isn't hurting you anymore? And find the payoff. Because the thing is, the person who molested you doesn't even care that you're upset, nor do they even know. And so the whole thing is, in holding on to any resentment, we're only hurting ourselves. And it's blocking you off from your higher power because there's a part of your brain that's not completely open to receiving messages as long as there's something that's upsetting you in there. So while you did not have a part in it, what I was taught was to look at why am I still holding on to it and what do I have to do to get rid of it? Because the, thing, the key here is to forgive people. doesn't mean you approve of what they did, but it's saying, I'm going to let go of what you did to me because you're no longer going to control how I think, how I act, where I go, what I say. And in that releasing, it opens you up to your higher power. Thank you. I just have one other quick question in terms of um, the, the sex with harm. How mm -hmm. Could you give me an example like how you would um, do an amends with that? Okay. Well, okay. So I'll give you an example that was mine. 
I hurt this woman by and how by dating her husband, okay? That is something that I am never going to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry I had an affair with your husband because that would cause a harm. There are ones, though, like um, like dating a guy and only dating him so that he would pay some of my bills, okay? Um, see, this is the whole thing. 95% of my harms using sex was not me going to the person and apologizing because it would cause harm. See, one of the things to remember about making your amends, it's not just saying an apology because if you're just going to do an apology for yourself, is that you're going to someone and saying, I did something to hurt you, I feel bad, now you better forgive me so that I feel better. Okay, the stealing of the money, like dating guys just so that I could steal money out of their wallets while they were sleeping, I went back and I paid them back the money if I could find them. And if not, I just donated someplace else. But 90% of my amends using sex, I did not make the verbal amend. I just amended my ways. I don't date married guys anymore. I don't steal money from people anymore. I don't flirt with people. I don't cheat on my husband if I were married. There's like a whole bunch of things that the harms to others using sex usually is more living amends than actually going and apologizing. Because if you cheated on your husband, the amend would never be, I'm sorry I cheated on you, because that would cause the harm. Number one rule for your amends, it doesn't cause harm to others. And you and your higher power can figure out if you need to say you're sorry to somebody. But most of the time I found that the harms using sex are not something that you go and apologize for. You just amend your ways. And that's why I have them on a separate sheet. So so I, I'm going to just wrap up with this one last question that came up. I really appreciate all your answers. They've been helpful. Let's say you, you didn't like somebody and you just held a, a, you know, a grudge or whatever against them, but you never did anything. Would that be one of those amends that you just change your ways? You don't go and say, well, I was holding a grudge against you? Probably, because you got to go further to, like, what would be the result of it. So if I'm gossiping about somebody and I go up to them and I say, I'm sorry I told people that I thought you were an asshole, it doesn't do anything to clean up anything. Because remember, mm. the amends are to, to tell someone, I hurt you. I'm really sorry I hurt you. And in doing another hurt doesn't clean up the first hurt. So that's the way to really look at it. But again, this is just the way I do things. And what I'm suggesting, once you hook up with your higher power, it is so clear what you need to do. And that's the only thing you should be listening to and taking advice from. And from your experience, you'll get to realize when it's God's will and when it's not. And again, for me, the whole idea, when I first started, I thought God's will was anything that helps someone else. And if it only helped me, it was my will. But where I am in my my career with God right now is that when it's his will, it's anything that allows love to grow. And including my apologies for harms, if it's going to harm somebody, that's not loving. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lindy. Tina Z, your question, please. Hi, uh, this is Tina Z from New Jersey, and um, it's a two-parter, actually. Um, one, um, and I know uh, this is something I probably would have to take offline with Barbara, and I will contact her. I have another addiction that I need to put down first, I guess, 
And when I put down that addiction, the food comes like right in. And my question to you is, in this other addiction, I, when, when you talked about recognizing a sponsor, there, there is no sponsor that I know of um, that could help me with this. It does, it's like everything, there's just nobody that I've seen that is really recovered in that program. And secondly, um, when I have looked for, good, you know, a good sponsor, because I do think it makes a difference, um, a lot of them that have the characteristics, the three things that you were talking about, can't really sponsor anybody because they don't have room because they're good sponsors and everybody wants them as a sponsor. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like all of the good ones are taken and I'm left, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I need to make more outreach calls. I think that's definitely the case. But what do I do in this situation? Because I know if I put down this first addiction where I, there's very, there's like no support groups that are good there, um, I'll be into the sugar and uh, not doing the work anyway. Okay. So, so here's the truth. You always need a substitute for everything. So when you put down this first addiction, food, they always say, is the last to go. Because if I'm an alcoholic and I give up alcohol and I start eating chocolate and drinking tons of coffee and smoking or whatever, okay, what happens is as a compulsive overeater, am I going to use drugs and alcohol to stop me from eating? They probably would work because there's a substitute. But the truth is that it doesn't really even matter what your addictive substance is. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's sex, if it's shopping, if it's gambling, if it's food. The steps are the steps are the steps. My problem is not food. Your problem is not this other addiction. The food, the other addiction, all the other stuff is just because I have a brain that the minute I'm uncomfortable, immediately through a dopamine connection says, I need to do whatever the substance is or I am going to die. And that becomes your higher power and your solution for everything. What happens is why you go to the food is because if you can't do your main addiction, you'll find a substitute. But by following the directions in the big book, your solution becomes your higher power. The minute you're restless or discontent, instead of running to the food or the substance or anything else, you run to your higher power and calm that fight or flight thing. You come up with the solution to why things are not working. So the whole thing is, my suggestion is if you can't find a sponsor, go to tons of meetings because I, I know that all, the, all of us, I, like I sponsor a lot of people, they sponsor a lot of people who thought there's like this whole thing in this area. There's hundreds of people who are in the process of work, well, maybe not hundreds, but tens, almost 100 people who are working the steps right now. And each one of us, our goal as a sponsor is to become obsolete to the person. They connect to God so that they don't need us so we can take someone new on, okay? But what I also find is when I go to a meeting and there's someone who's new there and you feel a connection to that person, whether you have room or not, you make room for them. So my suggestion is to go to the meetings, talk to a lot of people, because while it's great to be on a phone meeting, you really can't get a connection unless you're in person. That's what I found. You need to be in person, let people see you, let them see your desperation and how you really need the hope and the help. And remember, if you can find someone, you start off with the big book. 
and you will evade. God will do for you what you can't do. If you can't find someone right now, as long as you're not staying in your house waiting for somebody to knock on your door and saying, I'd like to sponsor you, God will put you in the right place to find the right sponsor. Thank you. That will turn out okay. Thank Thank you. Thanks, Tina Z. And our final question for this morning comes from Julie M. Good morning. This is Julie M. in Colorado, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you so much for your share. Um, so I have been guided to do to start step 10 while I'm doing my amends because the amends process is, can be so difficult and so much fear and, you know, emotions come up that I need step 10 to be my fire extinguisher. So I'm just wondering how you how you feel about that. Oh, and I agree with you totally. Because if I waited till I finished all my amends, some people I can't find. Some of them God just said it's not time yet, and some of them I could not do because it would cause harm. What I do is I move people. As soon as they make their first or second amend, they move right into 10. Okay, so, and if you, and this is the thing, if you are inspired, if you have an overwhelming urge, trust that it's coming from your higher power as long as it doesn't just benefit you. As long as it's not harming someone else, go with your instincts. Learn to trust them because that's how God gives you the messages. So if you've already made one or two amends, you should be in step 10. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you to everyone who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Barbara, for such a thorough and helpful presentation this morning. It has helped so many already. Thank you very much. The share ID for today is 10008. That's 10008. Let's close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.